0: I am Ryan Beaver. I am the children's pastor. I usually am in that room right on the right out there with all the loud music and all the crazy fun. Um, I love getting to share with your kids, but I also love getting to share with you guys. So today we are starting week one of our Life Plan series. I hope you all have a book. Do you hold the book up for me? Show me you got it or not. I mean, I get it. It's very heavy. Um, Life Plan week one. We We want you to we want you to engage with this. We actually want you to keep this booklet, bring it back every week. We want you to, to make notes. There's even a spot for you to put your name in there. My name is Bob and I'm about to get my life together. You can write that if you want. And, uh, and we're going to be looking at life plan week one. Life plan, life plan week one. Scott asked me like a, about a month or two ago, we were golfing and he said, what is the one subject? If you could share on any subject in church, what would it be? And I was like, I'd like to share how many times I beat you at golf. And he said, that would not work. But I beat him before, I just want you to know that, like, like more, than, more than 20 times probably. Anyway, more than 20 times. Anyway, I'm not going to tell you how many times he's beat me because that number is irrelevant and, and, and he's not here right now. So um, in week one, the talk about family, on the left-hand side, we have a big open space. This is for those of you that just, you, come, you show up at church with your pen ready, you're like, I cannot wait to take notes. This is for you to go crazy. You can write all sorts of wonderful things. Ryan's doing a great job. Man, is that a new shirt? No, it's not. Anyway. Anyway. Um, you can write anything you want there. Over here, this is more like structured note-taking. We're gonna ask you guys to refrain from just going nuts over here until we get to certain things. You can write the verses down where it says verses. At the end, we're gonna ask you to kind of, whatever you feel like that main idea was that's ju- jumped out to you, you'll put that there and we'll walk you through the rest. But. With that being said, we're gonna be looking at family and I am passionate about this topic. I have a wife and I have four kids. I am a a son to two amazing parents. I have some brothers, I have some cousins and stuff. And I love the idea of of family and specifically, the idea of trying to help my family be the best family it can be. It is honestly something that I am very, very passionate about, very concerned with. And so today I wanna share with you guys four tips uh, that have been given to me. This is very important. These are not like, I am the expert in all things family, so I'm going to share these four tips with you. You're very welcome because I'm so smart and my family's so great. That is not what this is. This is me going to people that have really good, healthy families and saying, can you help me with this mess? Because I need help. This, I, I, I am just like you and that I am, I, I am a member of a family that is dysfunctional. Anyone else? Fam, family that is dysfunctional? Okay. Most of you don't have families. So... Um, if you have a family, it's dysfunctional. And, and my family is certainly no different. There are times where I think to myself, if anyone saw what just happened in our household, I would lose my job. And, and that is just the honest truth of it. And I don't think I'm alone on our staff. When I say that, if I am, then I was just joking. So <laughs> tip, number, tip number one, again, these are just things that have been incredibly helpful, helpful for me. Tip number one is pick a target. In Temecula Murrieta, we have like five target stores, right? Pick one. That's the first one. That's not what I'm talking about. But I will say this how many of you guys are like, I am hardcore Target all the way? Okay. How many of you guys are like, I'm okay with Walmart? No shame in my game. You're my people. My wife, Target, Walmart. My wife is one of the people. This is why I think most people go to Target, because Target is more expensive. You guys know that, right? It's more expensive, but Target knows that, but they figure, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll appeal to the classier people that don't want to be seen in a Walmart, and they'll be happy to pay a few extra dollars here and there. That's why my wife goes. And that's not good for our wallet, but it's, it is okay. And I'm like, hey, I'll go to Walmart. It's cheaper. They roll back the prices. That's their motto. And, and you get some interesting people watching at, at Walmart. So, so that's not what I'm talking about when I say pick a Target. How many of you guys have heard the saying, um, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time? Some of you guys are like, that's my life motto. I hope that's not your life motto because I'm about to make fun of you. I would say that this is what I believe that say, it should say, if you aim at nothing, you are a fool. If you aim at nothing, you are a dumb person who is in for a whole lot of pain. You are a, you are a foolish person who is going to settle for a far less rich life than you would if you were to have a target that you would pursue. Um, That is the first point. We have to have something that we pursue, a target, a goal, a plan, a purpose. You need that as a family. You need that in a lot of areas of your life, but you absolutely need that when it comes to you and your wife, you and your spouse. You need it when it comes to how you want to raise your kids. It is absolutely important that you have a target. Um, Proverbs 16.9 says this, We plan the way we want to live, but only God makes us able to live it. That's a, that's a great, powerful truth. But that first part of that thing, when I read this verse, it's actually on the back of your book. I, I read it, and it's like, oh, we plan the way we want to live. And I was like, eh, not everybody. There's a lot of people I know that that does not apply to. And there's certain areas in my life where I'm guilty of this. But the major areas, I'm happy to say that for the most part, I'm pretty specific in the kind of husband I want to be. I'm not saying I do that perfectly, but I'm pretty specific about the kind of dad I want to be. I'm pretty specific about the kind of pastor I want to be. There are people I know that I feel like pretty much their entire life is just this kind of like aimless, we'll see how it goes. And it's kind of this like, I'm just free and easy. I'm like, you're also dumb because that is no way to pursue life where you basically just say, I'll just drift and see where life takes me. I'm going to marry this woman without any plan or purpose, and we'll just see how it goes. I mean, we should be okay. I mean, I'm pretty good by myself. She's pretty good by herself. What could happen when you combine the two together? Should be good. The idea of drifting is something that I love in the right context. If you told me right now that I could just magically appear on, on a river floating down the river, just drifting, I would sign up for that in a second. It's like one of my favorite things to do. For someone who cannot sit still, something about sitting in a river, I can do that. And my whole thing, I'll go with a group of like 40, 50 people sometimes, and I'm the guy who just detaches, and I let the river take me where it will. Uh, sometimes I'm in front, sometimes I'm behind, sometimes I get caught over in the side in a whirlpool, and I'm like, I'll catch up maybe. I love it. It's just free, and it's like, oh, this is fantastic. I will get there when I get there, if I get there. That is awesome for the river. It is horrible for life. You absolutely need to have a plan. And far too many people do not have a plan when it comes to their family, when it comes to their relationships, when it comes to their finances, when it comes to their mental and physical health. They just aimlessly go, and that is a recipe for disaster. There is a passage that I wanna reference, but before I do, I told you guys we're gonna need to participate. Could you please raise your hand for me? Raise your hand as high and as proud as you can. Everyone, everyone's hands goes up, and I will tell you when you are allowed to put them down. This is when I'm gonna say something that I believe to be true about you. If it's not true about you, you can lower your hand. If it is true, you have to keep your hand up for a little bit. All right? I haven't even said it yet. All right. So here's the the statement. You have this verse in your house on a wall, hanging, painted on a wall. You have this verse right here. If you have it and it's true about you, keep your hand up. If you don't, you can put your hand down. Some of you are lying. I've seen it in bathrooms, which I'm like, that's interesting placement right there. You see him in kitchens, you see him in living rooms, but you see him. you usually see him in the country chic, is that what you call that? Yeah. Country chic. You guys put your hands down now. You're welcome for the shoulder workout. Um, I, I should have my hand up because we have that in our house. That is an awesome verse. As for me and my house, guess what we're going to choose to aim towards? Serving and honoring God. That is awesome. I love it. I'm not making fun of that verse, except that it is a bit excessive and the country chic probably should stop. There's just too much of it everywhere. Um, But that verse is a great verse in and of itself, by itself, as for me and my house, we choose to serve the Lord. Um, I want to share with you guys that verse in its context because it's even better. It's more better. So Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, I want you to understand that this is written written from Joshua to the people of Israel as some final words of encouragement. He has led, he's been with the people as they got freed from, from Egypt. They, they, they got to the Red Sea. God parted the Red Sea. They were in the, the wilderness where they kind of had some issues for a while. And then eventually they got into the promised land and God allowed them to conquer the promised land. And now they're settling in this amazing, wonderful land. And he's like, let me share some words of encouragement with you. And he says this He says, fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. That's what I want you to choose to do. I also want you to choose to put away forever the idols that your ancestors worshiped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. I want you to choose to serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. That's the part that I love. He's saying to them, you have this incredible God who who freed you from slavery, helped you cross the Red Sea, provided for you, helped you get into the Promised Land. I'm encouraging you and urging you to choose to serve him. But if you don't want that, I understand, you're dumb, I get it, that's fine. If you don't want that, then choose what you do want. Have you ever had this discussion, men, with your wives where you say, hey, you want to go to dinner? How about we go here? And she goes, not really feeling it. You're like, that's okay. Where would you like to go? I have no idea. (laughs) I don't know. Okay, would you like to go here? I also do not want that. Then where would you like to go? I do not know. I have no choice. This is what Joshua is speaking into. If you're not going to choose the one, then tell me what you are going to choose. And look what he goes. He very, very sarcastically says, all right, you don't want to choose to serve God, then choose the one you will serve. He says, would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now in because their gods were so great? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. He's saying you need to choose. He's saying, listen, just make a choice. Don't don't drift. Don't float aimlessly. When I do premarital counseling, um, in my office over here, I have a big whiteboard, and I usually fill it up. Uh, We go through Ephesians chapter 5, and after about an hour and a half, it's pretty full, and in the corner, there's usually this little circle with an upward arrow. And I put that there originally because I talk about the fact that that we are called to love love our, our wives as Christ loves the church, and part of the way that Christ loved the church was this purposeful love. And I talk about how important it is for for the couple to sit down and decide, make up their mind what kind of couple they want to be. And, And after we go through everything, and there's a lot of really, just really good stuff in that chapter, things that I'm very passionate about, I will oftentimes come back to that arrow and I'll say, if there is nothing else you do in this session or after this session, it is this. Go sit around your table, sit on your couch, sit somewhere where the two of you can just have a moment and say, what kind of couple do we want to be? one of the best things that somebody told me early in marriage was to, to to look at the people around you and try and find couples that you want to be like. Find couples that, that do marriage the way you want to do it and label it. Say, I love the way they do this. Same, same for parenting, by the way. I love the way they do this with their kids. I want to do that. I want to be a couple that values this. I want to be parents that teach into this. These are purposeful decisions. This, it's this, this plan that you have. Also, Side note, no one told me to do this, but my wife and I do this all the time. It's equally, like, beneficial. Find families that you think are highly dysfunctional and list off how bad they are. And just be like, I do not want to do this. Just to be clear, we do not want to behave this way, whatever. I, I say that somewhat jokingly. We don't say it to make fun of them, but it's more like, that's horrible. And we don't want to, let's not do that. And I'm telling you, it's, it actually genuinely helps. So Here's the deal. You can drift into the kind of family you want to be, or you can purposefully decide who you want to be. Uh, in the talk about section in your, your thing there, this is the first little note. You're going to save some room because there's a few more. Here's what I want you to write in the talk about it section. I want you to write, are we drifting in any areas of our family life? Are we or am I drifting in any area of my family life? How might I be guilty of just this kind of aimless aimless pursuit or aimless floating and drifting? That is the first tip that I wanted to give you. I'll give you guys a second to write that down because I do want you to write it down. The second tip is this, tip number two. Healthy families should be a never-ending construction zone. Healthy families should be a never-ending construction zone. Um, I told you about that kitchen sign, the one that people hang up. You know, this, this sign should go right next to it. I, I'm trying to get my wife to do this. She's fighting me a little bit, but we'll see. It's country chic. It says, uh, pardon our progress, Exciting changes in the works. This might be the single most passionate point for me. This is the thing that I so desperately want to be able to say is true of our family. This is the thing that I want everyone in my family to embrace and say, yes, that is true of me, that is true of us. This is the reality of life, is that we are broken, we have issues, but we're working on them. And so that that idea is incredibly important. Um, In Proverbs chapter 1, it says this. Parents, you're going to like this. My child, listen when your father corrects you. Oh, no. Yeah, okay. I got three of them in here. Three, right? All three, or just okay. Tell your brothers. Anyway, my child, listen when your father corrects you. Do not neglect your mother's instruction. Jen, I'm with you on that one too, babe. Anyway, what you learn from them will crown you with grace and be a chain of honor around your neck. This is a verse that you kids need to embrace. Listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's teaching. This is, this is beautiful and wonderful and powerful for you kids. Parents, it also is very powerful for you. In the middle of this thing where you're like, yeah, kids, you hear that? I'm thinking, like, do we hear that as well? Because it says very clearly that we are, it kind of implies that we are called to do something. My child, listen when your father corrects. We as fathers are called to lovingly correct our kids. That's part of the construction zone. There's not much construction that happens where parents don't look to construct to to constructively uh, correct and instruct one another. Or the kids, or one another. So parents... Careful don't miss that call, and also parents don't miss the beauty of the potential reward. It says in there that even when we do this, it, it can be this great, this, this crown of grace and this honor around your kid's neck, this idea that, that they'll grow old one day and say, "Man, this is, this, I lived this way because my parents taught me into this." My parents purposely chose to raise me a certain way. I was with a, a group of people this, this last week, and someone, someone mentioned something about somebody doing something that was just lame. And I was like, "That is lame. That's not cool. That's not the way someone should behave. And she goes, right? My parents didn't raise me to be like that. And I'm like, you go, girl. Go, t- go tell your parents you appreciate them. But, but that is a beautiful, wonderful example of someone who clearly knew what was right, clearly knew what was wrong, and clearly attributed it to teaching and instruction from her parents. It is a lot of wonderful potential, but it also, this idea of teaching and instructing, if we don't do it the right way, it can be bad. Colossians 3, verse 21, it says, fathers... Do not aggravate your children. Good luck with that one, right? Do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. It's saying, listen, as we seek to guide and correct our kids, we need to be careful that we do it in a way that's constructive and loving and, and, and thoughtful. Um, I was trying to think of a way to, to say this. And, and I, I think of in terms of, she- you know, like the, the sheep analogy, um, there, there's electric fences that are just there. And anytime a sheep tries to do something wrong, it's like, Eah! and then there's shepherds. That We don't need the fence, but I'm still going to be there to kind of help guide them back, but I'm going to do it in a way that is loving, that is, that is intended to be constructive. It's not just, just bland punishment. It's this discipline and this loving, trying to help them see what is the best way to go. Um, there's another verse I want to share that is from, I share this when I do premarital counseling. I do not have a slide for it. Um, it is one of the clunkiest verses that I love. Sometimes I read the Bible and I'm like, what did I just read? Um, The first several times I read this, I said, I I have no idea what it means. And usually when I read this to couples in premarital counseling, they look at me like, yeah, no idea. No idea what you just said. So I'm going to read it, and don't don't be afraid if you feel that way. It says, for husbands, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. So far I'm with you says that Christ gave up his life for her, the church, to make her holy and clean. Washed by, cleansing, washed by the cleansing of God's word, he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without, without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will, not, she will be holy and without fault in the same way husbands ought to love their wives. That whole middle section, I'm like, what? Something about holy and b- b- no blemishes and, and washing with wa- word, water, whatever? People look at me like I have no idea what it's saying, but what, what I... Here in that passage, the more I've, I mean, I've, I've taught through this probably 50, 60 times. What I hear there is God calling husbands, inviting husbands to come alongside him in what he is doing in the lives of our wives. God is saying, I'm at work in the wife, in the life of your wife. I'm making her into the woman that I want her to be. And I'm doing it by loving her in this way, in a way that is, it, says, it's, it describes his love. It says, um, he gave up his life for her. So it's a sacrificial love that we're called to emulate. It says that his goal is to make her holy and clean. Guys, your goal when it comes to loving and leading your wife is not to make her into the person that most fits your random preferences. Later on when it says washing her in water with, by, by the cleansing of the word, it's talking about the fact that we don't love and lead our wife or our family based upon our willy-nilly preferences. We allow God's word to try and instruct how we do the best, best we can to love and lead our family. But what it's saying is that you are invited to come alongside, and that's very important because it's not saying, Ryan, this is on you, because if it was, my wife would be doomed. If it was up to me to help her become everything God wants her to become, she would be very, very, very bad off. But God is the one at work, and he's inviting me to come alongside, to see how she's gifted, to see how she's unique, what her gifts and strengths are, and say, God, how can I help her live into those? I I wanna be a part of what you're doing in her life. That is my privilege as a husband. And I would argue that she has the same privilege in my life. Some of you are thinking, no, Ryan, the husband is the head of the house, that's what it says. I'm not arguing about authority, I'm saying that I think that the idea of my wife sharpening me, influencing me in a positive way, helping me to grow into the man of God that God wants me to be, I do not think that is unbiblical. But the idea that I I really hope to see happen is that I would embrace that not only for my wife, but for my kids. God, how have you wired Ashlyn? How is she unique and, and distinct? What is, what is her gifting? What are the areas that we can sharpen? What are the areas that we, we need to encourage? What are the areas that we need to, to teach into so she can get out of those areas? Aubrey, Bryson, Jackson, each one of them are unique. How can I be used to help them grow into the men and women of God that you want them to be? What a privilege. And that is, that is the essence of what I mean by this construction zone. Every one of us is a project. God is refining us, and we have the opportunity to come alongside one another and live into that. Um, I want to just very quickly talk about something that I think is super important, and it helps you understand how I actually believe that my kids, in some way, can do this for me. I think in some small way, they can come come alongside and help me to grow. Uh, There's two key words here. The first word is the word authority, and the second one is the word influence. Authority is the ability of someone with positional power to regulate a person's behavior, Authority is the ability of someone with positional power to regulate a person's behavior. Policemen have authority. Teachers, coaches, parents. These are people that have been put in a position where they have positional authority and they can say, you do this because I said so. And, and that is good. When your two-year-old is running in the street and you yell, stop, authority is perfect. That's that's a good thing. But influence is something that is far far better. Influence is the ability of a person who may or may not have positional authority to impact people's hearts and minds. Authority works in one direction, down the chain of command. Influence can go any which way it possibly wants. There are people that that sit paralyzed thinking that I can't make a difference because I don't have a position of authority. But if you realize that you have the opportunity at any point in time to influence people, you realize that you can make a huge difference. And my hope, my picture that I hope my family can live into is that every one of us is looking for an opportunity to positively influence one another. Me with my wife, my wife with me, me with my kids, my kids with my wife and me. And you might be thinking that sounds completely and totally unrealistic. And it kind of sort of is. If you saw our house, it's, there's not a lot. I can't imagine if Bryson tried to positively influence Aubrey. She'd be like, I'm not interested. I have no desire to have you positively influence me. Mind your own business, bro. <clears throat> and I'd say, that's it, kids. That's what I like to see. <clears throat> here's the difference between, here's why uh, influence is so much better than authority. Your daughter comes down the stairs. She's a teenager, and she's wearing a miniskirt. This has not happened to me yet. Um, and she's wearing a miniskirt, and you're like, nope, you're not going out in that, Right? And she says, but dad, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, nope. You kind of do the thing where you point down at the ground. You're like, go. She stomps upstairs. Kid, your kids stomp upstairs a lot. They want you to know how heavy their feet can be as they stomp upstairs. Like, Good, congratulations. I heard that. Good job. <laughs> <clears throat> she stomps upstairs, comes downstairs wearing baggy sweats. And you're like, that's it right there. That's my girl. And she, and she kind of just huffs and puffs out the door. And she leaves and everything's great, right? With authority, she gets around the corner and you better believe the sweats go off and there's, there's her beautiful miniskirt because authority gets you about that far to the front door. There's too many parents that settle for authority when they could strive for influence. There's a, there's a, there's a phrase that I want to share with you parents and, and it's the idea of, of owning this idea of the fact that we're all in, in progress, this construction zone. Owning your mistakes, owning the fact that you're not perfect, it does not threaten your authority as a parent. Instead, you will find that it slowly but surely increases your influence in your child's life. I, I absolutely love that phrase. I, I believe that one of the greatest things I can do for my kids is to say, hey, time out, house meeting, dad's an idiot. I am sorry, and I don't know what is wrong with me, but I need to get this worked out because I'm being... yeah." And, and some people think, well, if you do that, then you lose your... I don't, you know, I, don't, I don't believe that. I believe, that if anything, you gain something far more powerful, which is the, the opportunity to influence your child. Here's the talk about it section for, for tip number two. How can I help contribute to a culture of grace-centered growth in my family? How can I help contribute to a culture of grace-centered growth in my family? Write that down in the talk about it section. Meanwhile, I'm going to move on because I'm running a little bit behind here. Point number three, tip number three. Proper perspective is the key to enjoying and appreciating your family. Proper perspective is the key to appreciating and enjoying your family. How many of you guys would say, I would like to enjoy my family more than I currently do? I don't mean like like, like them, or I mean like more often. Like I find myself not enjoying my family as much as I do. That's just me. Okay, I, I, I cannot tell you the amount of times where I'm like, man, I, I just spent an hour with my kids and half that time I was like, what's wrong with these dumb kids? And I just, I wish that was not how I was. And, I've, and this is based upon something I have, can experientially vouch for, that, that, that proper perspective is what helps us get out of that. Let me share with you a few verses that you guys are gonna love. You ladies should love this one. The man who finds a wife, Proverbs eighteen twenty two. the man who finds a wife finds a treasure. Amen, Amen. boys, guys, you better say it louder amen. You hear all those guys? So yeah, the man who finds a wife finds a treasure and he receives favor from the Lord. Let me show you my treasure. Where's my, there's my treasure. What's that Bruno Mars song? Can you sing it? Anyway, that's my treasure. She is absolutely amazing. She's right over there and she's probably blushing. She's about to be blushing in a different way. Anyway, she is truly gorgeous. She is, I mean, she's way out of my league. Don't nod. Um, Way out of my league, sweet, kind, beautiful. When it comes to being a wife, aside from everything else that's awesome about her, the greatest thing she gives me, and I mean this, is she makes me feel well-loved day in and day out, even on our bad days. There's never a day where I do not feel that that woman deeply loves me, and there's nothing more precious that she can give me, and I cannot thank her enough for that. She is the single greatest thing, other than Jesus dying on the cross for my sins, that has ever happened to me, hands down. Her out of my life would make me miserable and I would be a mess. Okay? Having said that, there are days. No. Here's a true statement She is arguably the single greatest source of stress in my life. It's true. It's just there's times I'm like, what? How? Do you seriously think what you just said is that? What? Like, I'm like, honestly, she's, again, I want to clarify. My life would stink without her. It would be horrible. But there are times where I think, this woman makes my life so difficult. Why? Why can't we just choose to not worry about this? Come on, right? And this is a very real thing. Thank goodness perspective helps me get out of that. Because I'm reminded of the fact that this woman... Is amazing. I'll get to that later. Um, Psalm 127, 3 through 5. Children are a gift from the Lord. Kids, amen. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. My quiver is full. Show my picture of my kiddos. Look at them. Gosh. They're pretty good looking kids. They get it from me. That's my daughter Ashlyn, she's 16. That's my daughter Aubrey, she's 14. That's Bryson, AKA B-Dog, and that's Jackson. He has his father's head. Check it out. <laughs> we, we, we like do noggin' all the time, it's like our thing. Anyway, um, those kids, Second greatest thing to ever happen to me in my life, other than my wife and of course Jesus dying on the cross for my sins. Those kids bring me more joy than I could, you could, I mean you do not know how much fun I've had with those kids. From the simplicity of hide and go seek in the dark a month ago to like just just silly fun nonsense. Those kids, my life without them would be miserable. Having said that, (laughs) there is a reason I said earlier that that my wife is arguably the single greatest source of stress in my life. Those four kids are significant contributors. <laughs> Those four kids, there are times where I think to myself, you could not possibly be more annoying. <laughs> you could not possibly be less self-aware, more ungrateful, more like, Ugh! <laughs> There are times where, I, where these amazing blessings become... Things far from that. So here's why I'm telling you that perspective is so important. Let's just say hypothetically that my wife calls me on the phone and she tells me something kind of important. And in a minute, poof, we hang up. 30 seconds later, let's say she hypothetically calls me again with another new, kind of, not new, but kind of new, little nugget, okay, love you, hang up. 30 seconds later, maybe hypothetically it rings again. Maybe this happens four times in five minutes. Maybe it's a little frustrating because why couldn't she just call me once for all four of those things, right? Maybe it gets a little bit annoying after she does this a couple of times. Maybe my kids and I both are bothered by it. And maybe I could be tempted to be like, gosh, this woman. <laughs> in all seriousness, these are these silly little dumb things that I will allow myself to be like, gosh, why can't she just whatever? And if I'm not careful, I will find myself caught up in a funk about how my wife has these things she has to work on. Luckily, perspective like says, hello, dummy. Do you remember how much you would have killed to have her text you in high school? Because texting didn't exist and you would have been ahead of the curve technologically? <laughs> Do you remember how stoked you were when she did hit you up on that pager? 425, 8561? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> remember when she typed 143 in there? She, she, lo- she said she loved me. Do you? I, I remember like being, <laughs> and now she calls me four times like, gosh. And then I think even darker and even more like guilty for myself, how, how stupid are you to be bothered by this? If she were to ever stop, what if she, imagine how ridiculously miserable you'd be if she, if she ever stopped calling you. Yeah, I mean, these are the dumb thoughts that I have to get myself back to a remotely good spot because sometimes I'm dumb enough to not see my wife as the blessing that she is. But that's life. Same thing with my kids, same thing with my parents, same thing with our family, just if we're not careful, we will find ourselves tolerating some of the greatest blessings in our life rather than appreciating them and enjoying them. And that to me is why perspective is so, so important. Um. here's what I want you to write in the talk about it section. When am I most in danger of losing perspective? When am I most in danger of losing perspective? Tip number four, this is our last one. Priorit- prioritizing needs to be a top priority. Prioritizing needs to be a top priority. Um, in my mind, there is a picture that has, tr- this is not me, this is not a joke, this is not whatever, I truly... There are countless times in my life where I am motivated by one picture, and it is a picture of an old man on a rocking chair, on a porch, overlooking a prairie of some sort. And that old man is me. And I'm telling you, legitimately, there are times in my life where I think about how this picture is so desperately what I want to experience. And this old man sits in this chair with a lemonade or something else in his hand, and he's sitting on that porch, and he thinks to himself, man, you are not perfect. You, you made some mistakes, but all in all, you, you made some pretty good decisions with how you chose to spend your life. You, you, what you did with your family was not perfect, but you should be pretty darn proud of it. What you did with your wife, same thing. With my job, I mean, there, there's this thing within me that so desperately wants to sit on the front porch with no regrets and just be like, this is, this, is, this is something that I truly am deeply motivated by. And there's another picture, same picture, same guy, on a rocking chair, and this is a newer one, this is kind of a different motivation, and it is one that scares me to death. It's me in that same chair, same drink in my hand, and I'm saying, man, if I only would have blank. Wow, I really wish I would have spent more time blank. This is why this whole idea of prioritizing is so important is because we only have so much time. And to me, the biggest thing that gets me from this chair to this chair, or from this chair to this chair, is how well I prioritize. There are so many things that want my time, so many things that want my attention, so many things that, 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 that could occupy the 24 hours I'm given every day. And these two chairs are the ones that help me, because I so desperately want to be in this chair, they help me to look at my priority list and make the wise choice as much as I possibly can. I do not always do it. And sometimes, to be, to be totally clear, sometimes the wise choice is to get a little space from your kids and go play golf. That's not a bad thing. But all in all, I want to be the one that realizes how short life is and chooses to spend my hours as best I can. There's a verse in Psalm chapter 90. It says, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. If you could wrap your mind around how quickly life comes and life goes, what an amazing gift. That is the kind of wisdom that will truly compel you to live differently. That is the kind of wisdom that will truly compel you to prioritize properly. Um, I was in the uh, room setting up for VBS the other day, and my oldest daughter said to me, she she said, Dad, 828, and I'm like, those are numbers. I don't know what to do with that number. That's great. She goes, 828. I'm like, "What, what does it mean? She goes, that's how many days until I go to college. And I was like, wow. I think I smiled. I was like, yay. (laughs) right this might she's 828 days and she is no longer gonna need to rely on me I'm hoping for food and money and stuff like that (laughs) she's gonna go she's gonna go to Oregon Oregon state beavers to be clear not you duck fans out there beavers okay she's gonna go to Oregon state She's going to go do her thing, and we're going to be so happy for her, but I am going to be heartbroken. Her mom's going to be even more heartbroken, and we're going to work through that when we get there. Right, babe? Here's what what gets me is that that hit me like a ton of bricks because I have 828 more days to try and shower her with as much love and value as I possibly can. Monty Sharp has a really, really cool saying where he says, he says, how do you spell love? T-I-M-E. That's his answer and you only have so much of it. And if you're foolish enough to have your priorities out of order, I have friends who I am telling you, I wish I could just go and shake them and say, do you not see how your priorities are making you sit in this chair one day? I mean, I passionately wanna go to these people and be like, you are being an idiot. And I kind of have. We only have so much time, and time is how we show them we love them. Time is how we do the best we can to help them grow. Uh, I wanna close with a cheesy, Cheesy song by a great musician named Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> Billy Ray Cyrus. This is a song I heard like 10 years ago, and I think I almost cried the first time I heard it because it's just, it's, it's just perfectly cheesy country. It's called Busy Man. Uh, there's a little boy out in the driveway, his basketball in hand, saying, Daddy, could we play a little one-on-one? You pat him on the back and say, not now, son. I'm a busy man. His sister's out on the sidewalk setting up a lemonade stand. Hey, Daddy, don't you want to buy a glass from me? You say, maybe later, can't you see I'm a busy man? It goes on and it says, there's a woman in the bedroom crying, saying, I thought we had plans. You say, honey, I'm sorry, I'll make it up when the job slows down and I'm not such a busy man. And like any good cheesy country song, you kind of are, the majority of the song is this really bad way of thinking. And then at the end, he flips it upside down. He says... There's a call one day from the office. They need you down in Birmingham. You say, no way. The weekend's mine. I got plans with the kids and a date with my wife. I'm a busy man. My hope is that you would be fueled by a perspective that drives you to spend your hours wisely. That you would be busy in the best possible ways. If you want to appreciate and enjoy your family more, it comes through prioritizing. There's one last section in your paper called the bucket list. And here's what I would like you to write in there. And this is kind of like an overall... Whatever, you know, hopefully what you take from this is this idea that when it comes to your family life, what are the top three things you don't wanna regret not doing when your life is drawing to a close? They say that when it comes to regrets, short-term regrets are often things that you wish you would not have done. I wish I wouldn't have said that. I wish I wouldn't have done that. That's the things you regret from your recent past, but they say when you get down the line and you're looking back down the line, your regrets are usually things that you did not do. I, I, I really regret not spending more time blank. So I would like for you to put three things that you do not want to sit in that rocking chair and regret not doing when your life is drawing to a close. And then the, uh, the last thing I have for you guys is that section that says decide now. Um, that is something that we hope every week you'll take seriously, that you make a decision here in this room, you write it down, and you decide something you want to do to, to make progress in this area? Something that you wanna to do to adjust your life plan when it comes to family. What is the one thing you wanna write down, the decision you wanna make? And maybe for some of you it's like, hey, it's, I wanna talk about that whole having a purpose thing. Maybe I wanna reprioritize some things. Maybe I wanna be, be, find a way to be more in the right perspective a lot. Maybe for you it's to talk about the three things on the talk about it list. Whatever it is, I challenge you to make that decision now. I will tell you this. There is nothing worth more of our time and energy than trying to grow when it comes to our family. Thank you guys for letting me share. I hope it was encouraging. Let me close in prayer, and then you guys can go and eat some bacon. So you guys are like, oh yeah, the bacon. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for Father's Day, and specifically, Lord, thank you for my father. What an amazing, amazing example. What a godly man. I thank you for uh, just the blessing that fathers in general are, God. I know that... Um, it is a very, very difficult job to, to try and love and lead a family. And I pray that you would just strengthen the men in this room, encourage them that their, that their shortcomings are, are all part of the process. I pray that you would help us to, um, just as families in general, embrace that idea of, of that we are under construction, we are in process. Father, I pray that you would help us to be people that, that have an aim, have a target that we pursue. I pray that you would help us to keep our priorities in order and, and our perspective right. God, I pray that you would just bless the families in this church. Father, we love you.